there's also sort of a, a rule in family business. If the family's growing faster than the business, then the business is in trouble in family business. So the odds are against family business survival. What that's one of the reasons why it's like you start eating your own if if there's just not enough resources to take care of everybody. So growth is imperative for us to have sustainability. There's a number of different sort of factors that create sustainability over a period of generations. Some of them that are within your control, and then there's some of them that are outside of your control. At the end of the day, you have to be surrendered to the things that are outside of your control. It's time for the Unlocking Significance podcast, brought to you by Mosaic Family Wealth. Each episode features an inspiring story from a successful leader on their journey towards building a lasting legacy. Your host, Mosaic President Scott Highmark, is ready to shine a spotlight on lives that go beyond success towards significance. Well, today we welcome Marty Ozinga to the Unlocking Significance podcast. He's the president of Ozinga, a bulk materials and concrete solutions provider headquartered in Chicago and recently named a Chicago Tribune Top Workplace. Ozinga employs more than 1,400 employees who are responsible for the foundations of projects that we're all familiar with, like Guaranteed Rate Field, where the Chicago White Sox play, Historic Soldier Field on Chicago's Lakefront, and most recently, the concrete being used in the extensive renovations now underway at O'Hare International Airport. Marty, first of all, thank you for joining us and welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Scott. It's good to be on with you. Well, thank you. And, um, your, your family's business story is, is just fascinating as I've come to, to learn it. You're the fourth generation leader of this family business that began in 1928. It's truly a classic all-American success story. And just if you would, just take us back to the beginning. How did, how did it start? Maybe just take us all the way back to 1928, if you would. Sure. So my, my great-grandfather... His family actually came to the the country in the late 1800s, 1892 or 1893, I believe it was. He was very young to the south side of Chicago. He actually was in law enforcement in the 1920s in Cook County and decided that 1920s in Chicago, the hazards of the job and whatnot, being in law enforcement, maybe he wanted to take on a different career, but a notorious time in, in, in Cook County in Chicago and so he, he, along with another uh, gentleman, started a business as a coal delivery business, just the horse in a wagon, delivering coal door to door for home heating fuel at the time. Just a little little piece of property out sort of in a rural area on the south side. He had a rail spur and just brought in rail cars of coal and just delivered it door to door to people. That was 1928, as you said, shortly before the Great Depression. The Great Depression sets in and he had, he had five a wife and five kids and sort of mortgaged everything to do it, you know, shortly thereafter, all of a sudden he was in, in trouble and he almost lost the business within a couple of years of starting it, barely made it in the end. Coal was because it was home heating fuel. It was one of these things that they had to have. And there was some subsidies back then to just to keep people's homes warm and other things. So it was a necessary product to be delivered to people. So for that reason, he kind of credited that in a, a loan from his mother-in-law and some prayers and everything else. They, they did weather that storm and that's how it started. The next generation was my grandpa and his two brothers. They took over the business a few weeks after Pearl Harbor, actually, in January of 1942. And that same year, all three of those brothers were called into World War II. So a rough start for the next generation as well. They weren't sure if they were coming back. So the business actually closed down for a couple of years during the war. My great-grandfather at that point was kind of tired and he lost his workforce 
he decided that he didn't really want to gut it out during the war. So he, he let the business close for a couple of years. But they came back. They all survived and they dusted off the equipment. After the war, there was sort of a post-war building boom all over the country, certainly in Chicago. They took a lot of that delivery equipment that was used for coal and coal was actually phasing out as a home heating fuel over time. They started delivering truckloads of sand and stone and bags of cement and other things using that same yard, the same delivery equipment, and really pivoted to uh, building materials from the coal delivery as the, as the next generation. It was about 1950 or so that Ready Mix Concrete was this burgeoning new technology to, to make concrete at the yard with a plant and, and, a, and, a, and a mixer truck to deliver it to job sites. It was natural for them because they were delivering all the raw materials to the sites and the mixing would happen on site. Sure. So they were one of dozens and dozens of, of small time operators that said, hey, we can do that. And, you know, made a homemade batch plant and got a truck from the truck manufacturer and, and started with a truck or two and, and started from there. And then they, they built the business up to be a very sort of reputable business in the community and partner with the community and just had, they were kind of hometown heroes after coming back from the war and just really committed to patriotism and service and giving back and, you know, the Lions Club and church and after school stuff, just everything they were very involved in. He built up a really good name in the local community and sort of in the south suburbs of Chicago. And then my dad and, and his generation took over in the 1970s and, and really just my, my dad was very entrepreneurial as well and, and, and really wanted to grow the business. So it went from, you know, basically a location and a half to about 25 locations about over over his generation and up to about a thousand employees. I have five younger brothers. Uh, there's six of us brothers. We know no sisters. Our generation started coming in part time, like through school and doing all the jobs that no one else wanted to do kind of jobs. And, you know, learn, learn, learn the business from the ground up like the, the previous generations. And uh, we took over officially in 2012. My dad sort of handed the reins over to my generation in 2012. And so it's uh, six brothers and a cousin in my generation. And this year we're 93 years in business. The bio's a little dated. We're, we're about 2,500 people now. And, you know, just the company keeps growing. And we're, we're mainly in the Midwest, but we have operations in South Florida, sort of Miami-Dade, Broward counties, more and more operations in different parts of the country, more on a contracting basis here and there, too. That's, wow. that's the long and the short of it. But. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. It, it, it strikes me as, as I hear that. How do you keep the, the legacy alive of those stories of your great-grandfather mortgaging everything, almost losing everything, of closing the business you know, around World War II, just all those traumatic stories. Because a lot of people probably that come into your company now or even in the community just see this successful 2,500 employee operation, but they don't know the history and the heritage and from where everything came. So how do you keep that alive inside the company and the family? Yeah, we, we've, we try to communicate like crazy, just keep communicating. We've invested a lot of money in communication, even doing this. I mean, it's a pleasure to tell our story to whoever wants to listen. We just keep communicating it over and over and over again, just trying to remind ourselves as much as anybody else of where we came from and how easily it can go away. Through the pandemic, we, we drew on those stories. Hey, we survived the depression. We survived World War II. We will survive this too. And it made, made us better. There's some of the things that were challenging actually created opportunities. We try to just tell the stories over and over, sort of that oral tradition of, you know, telling telling the war stories, metaphorically speaking. I, I think that's been a big part of our boardroom, just telling stories of 
you know, to our managers and stuff where as owners in particular, this is how we think, this is the lens we think through life. This is how we've been here, but not quite like this, but we have been through trials and different things. It keeps us humble. And it's those stories, I think, that keep us grounded. Absolutely. Continue to cascade those stories and remind people that, you know, history doesn't repeat itself, but it rhymes. Right. And and that helps you as you you move forward. And I'd be remiss if I didn't say publicly, Marty, I'm so sorry to hear of the passing of your father. And I know that's got to be incredibly hard and, and still fresh in, in your mind. But it, if, if, if you're open to that, I'd love to hear how, you, how you've been reflecting on his impact. I mean, you talked about the business impact and he really was, you know, quite the visionary in 1970 to go from a, a location and a half to 25 locations, 2,500 employees. Sounds like he was a real catalyst of tremendous growth. How do you reflect on your dad's impact, both in the business and maybe outside the business? Yeah, my dad was one of a kind. I mean, I guess we could say that about all of us, but he was very entrepreneurial, very bold, very color outside the lines kind of guy. I think in, in many respects, he was the mentor to all six of us, whether us watching him growing up at home, the way he conducted himself at work. We spent a lot of time with him, again, listening to those stories yeah, it's, it's been about six weeks now, I think, about since he passed. It was very sudden, 71 years old. My mom passed about 10 years before that. So all of a sudden, we're the adults in the room. You know, it's like what? And I'm I'm 45 next month, and I'm the oldest of six. My brother is 35. So we have 29 kids between the uh, six of us. So, yeah, I mean, just a big the patriarch of the family and the visionary for for us. And it's just at this point, it's torch bearing, you know, like it's our turn. He's prepared us well for this moment. I think that's one of the pieces of his legacy is that he was a big believer in young people and giving responsibility to people at a young age because he got that opportunity for himself at a young age. His legacy continues to live in my mind and through us, you know, and, and it's it's an inspiration maybe now more than ever because of that. So. Absolutely. Well, thank you. Thank you for sharing that. And it, it'll be fun to watch kind of what you and, and your G4, I guess, um, yep. what, what you all are able to do and build upon the, the legacy that it, your, your, your father, your grandfather, your great grandfather have, have built. And speaking of that, how do you think about the expansion? As you said, you know, you start in cold delivery and now you end up doing all kinds of different uh, offshoots of that. Um, obviously, concrete's a big part of that. But how do you think about expansion as as you move forward? Do, can you see kind of how the company will evolve in the next 20, 30 years during your leadership? Or is it is that just kind of an everyday evolution? Or you, you think about it from where it came to where it is. How do you think about it as you move forward? Yeah, I, I think about it in terms of uh, kind of a force multiplier of sorts, you know, if, if, if you, if you get the culture right and you you cast that vision of that, you want to grow and Hey, this is what our expectation is. Uh, first of all, you, you know, you, you, you put a megaphone to, Hey, th- these are our intentions. And then you start to attract like-minded people who are interested in doing that too. And so you, you, you surround yourself with people and it starts with the family and we're all sort of equally yoked in that spirit because like I said, my dad mentored us and he didn't believe in sort of coasting. He said, you're either going forward or backward. You're not, there's no such thing as coasting. You can't just say, Hey, we arrived now let's kick our feet up because you're going backward at that point. There's also sort of a rule in family business. If the 
family's growing faster than the business, then the, the business is in trouble in family business. So the odds are against family business survival. What that's one of the reasons why it's like you start eating your own if if there's just not enough resources to take care of everybody. So growth is imperative for us to have sustainability. So that's just that's just a mantra we keep, you know, and, and yet we, it needs to be responsible and and you can't get too far over your skis because then you sort of put the whole enterprise at risk and all these families and everything else. So there's a tension there, but having a growth mindset, it's not an optional thing if you, in reality, you just can't, can't be optional about it. Right. Well, so, so much richness in what you just said. So I'm going to unpack a few of those things. Uh, you, you said, we always talk about get, trying to attract like-minded, like-hearted people and use that, that, that scriptural reference of equally yoked, you know, in yep. terms of your worldview and the lens that you talked about in terms of, if you get the right people in the right seats, normally that that builds right, the right, right culture, and then you can deliver the right service or delivery uh, right. product to your to your end. So I love that. Um, that you said something about if the family is growing faster than the business, then then both the family and the business are in trouble. That's that is really really interesting. So do you carry that burden now as as the leader of this G four that? Well, that's what wakes me up in the morning and what I think about going to bed at night, because that's a big responsibility. Yeah, and I will say that, you know, there's there's six of us brothers and a cousin. We shoulder it together yeah. uh, and, and we're trying to to figure out how to how to communicate it in such a way that all of our coworkers we're co-stewards together. We're shouldering this together. So I am not out there all by myself trying to shoulder this thing. Uh, we invite all of our coworkers to think in, in those terms. How do we shoulder this thing together? And and because I don't want to, I don't want to wear the weight of all that. I refuse. Um, and so, you know, I I I think the biggest thing for that is just to again communicate really well what our intentions are, to be vulnerable, like where where our shortcomings are, where we need help, and to say, hey, I I need you guys. And at the end of the day, I was thinking about like what what has. Uh, there's a number of different sort of factors that create sustainability over a period of generations. Um, there's there's some of them that are within your control, and then there's some of them that are outside of your control. And at the end of the day, you have to be surrendered to the things that are outside of your control. If if, if the Lord wants us to, to 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 go on for another 93 years, so be it. You know, we're going to do everything with we can within our control. And uh, you know, the things that are outside of our control, we're going to try our best not to get anxious about or worry about. It's hard to surrender, right? When we feel like I'm here to control, I'm here to guide. People are counting on me, and it's a daily, it's a daily discipline yeah, to I, to figure out how to do. Yeah, but but being vulnerable, having that co stewardship, doing with other people that are like minded, like hearted, and knowing ultimately that you know the outcomes up to you know we're, we're maybe responsible for the inputs, but the outputs and the outcomes are are up to the Lord and yeah. uh, to have that posture helps me for sure. And sounds like it helps you as well. For sure. And, and it's more of an adventure too. I mean, it's just more exciting that, you know, knowing, knowing ultimately who's who, someone else bigger than me is, yeah. is, is in control of those outcomes. And yet I have a role to play in it yeah. all. Absolutely. So let's talk just for a moment about the competitive landscape. Um, I'm sure there's large multinational companies that you compete with. Um, yet you're, you're no longer the boutique, you know, small down the street, you're, you're a large organization. Um, but how would you define your secret sauce? Like where, where's your white space in the world that you all want to own? I always use Chick-fil-A, like their secret sauce isn't, isn't their chicken, it's their culture. 
It's their service that comes out of their culture. But what, what is the secret sauce at Ozinga and how do you perpetuate that as you go forward competitively and, and culturally? I mean, it's going to be cliche, but at the end of the day, the secret to our success is our people. It's not some patent that you have. It's not some technology that other people do. I mean, I, I always try to remind our folks that, you know, a lot of our competitors, they have the same make and model of trucks. They have the same plants. You know, they have the same tracking systems, whatever technology is available, but they only, they, they don't have our people. At the end of the day, there's only one you in the entire planet and you're on our team. We only have us, but it's not just people and the right people and the right team. It, it's what is the environment that's going to create people to trust each other and to like really live into their God-given potential and in, in the right time, in the right place for the right opportunity. Right. Yeah. And nourishing that environment so your people can thrive Yep, is part of your role and your siblings' roles is, is to create that environment so people can thrive. Yeah. Speaking of environment and values, I know you all talk about being a values-based organization and leaning on your core values. I know, again, a lot of people slap core values on a wall and on a chalkboard and put it on the website, but how does that live itself out day to day inside your organization? Well, I, I don't mind sharing with our, our, we have a new new onboarding session pretty much every Monday and I'll share with our, our new coworkers, if they don't know already, where we're coming from as a family. So we have a multi-generational family business state mission statement within, in the context of business that we're here to first and foremost, honor and glorify God in all we do and to serve the crown of his creation. And that's, that's represented by our coworkers, our, our customers, and the community. That's that faith, rooted faith perspective or kingdom mission that, that's infused in our everyday work. And so we, we've tried to put that into like a purpose statement here at work that says that we want to have a positive impact on individuals, their families, and the community for generations. And so from our faith convictions flows this purpose. Why, why does Ozinga exist? Uh, we have a unique opportunity in Chicago and beyond in the, in the particular industry that we're called to, to have a positive impact on certain individuals. It could be a coworker, it could be a customer, anybody who we interact with. And then from there spill over into their family life and into the, the community life. And, and that, that those impacts would last for generations to come. Because that we're the beneficiaries of people who did that for us. And right. so we, we feel firsthand this conviction of we can do this together as a community. And so we're trying to ha have more engagement around that for all of our coworkers. Yeah. And I, I imagine as you've gotten larger and larger, it's even more important to communicate that over and over again. So people hear it multiple times and new people come, people go. But that cascading message just has to be reiterated all the time. Would that be fair? Yeah, I mean, I think that's one of the things for me as a leader that uh, I, I feel like is is the biggest learning lesson. Uh, I, I, there, and I think it's somewhat generational, too. I, I think previous generations, they were, you know, quieter about it and, and they just let their actions do the talking. But nowadays, with all the tools that are available to us and, and the size, to your point, the size of the business, we can't assume that people just sort of read our minds or understand where we're coming from or, and, and you just have to beat it to death. You just have, and, and through every channel that you can of this is who we are, this is where we're coming from. 
And this is why, why we do what we do. And, and uh, it holds us accountable too, because the more you say it, the more you better sort of live up to it. Otherwise you're a hypocrite. So the more you sort of vocalize something, the more it holds you accountable to actually doing, doing, I find anyway. So. Absolutely. That reminds me of my wife reminds me of an Andy Stanley quote, the pastor in Atlanta. He says, unexpressed gratitude is ingratitude. And she says, if you don't tell me that you appreciate me, I don't, I, I don't know that you do. And I'm like, well, I think about it. I actually right. believe it. Like, I, I really do appreciate that. And she's like, I know, but if you don't tell me, I don't know it. And so I'm reminded as a leader that you have to tell people and tell people and tell people because they can't read your mind. And it, yeah. the, the larger you get, the, the better you got to be at that. Yeah. And, and we have a whole team now, a communications team, yeah. you know, and it, um, one of them sitting here with me, making sure my technology is working right. Yeah. Um, you know, where this is a full-time job of, for a team of people to make sure that we use all the tools that we have at our disposal to, to get that message out there. Yeah. Okay. So I got to, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you, you've got 29 kids among the six brothers. So that they're G5, right? So right. are any of them in the business yet? And if so, what are you doing to prepare them at the various ages that they are? to be in the same position that you are 10, 15, 20 years from now? Yeah, great questions. The oldest ones are like uh, just graduating high school. So they're starting to work summer jobs and stuff at different, you know, getting their work boots on and safety vests and stuff like that and doing some of those jobs. The the second part is how how do we prepare them? To me, the the work of, if if I reflect back on my upbringing, the work of preparing me for work is how my parents poured into me at home, you know, just, just simple things like picking up after yourself and, you know, treating people with respect and, and, and a whole, and a whole host of other things that I taught at home. So we're, we're trying to encourage, Hey, don't, don't think too much about trying to, how do you get your kids to work kind of thing? Just, just try to do a good job of pouring into your kids doing what's right. And, and someday that will, 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 there'll be dividends that, but we do do a lot of family get togethers and so these cousins are spending a lot of shared sort of experiences together that they'll never forget. And, and they got to work out, you know, a little fight with this kid and that kid and or these kind of things that they're working out now just through playing a game or doing this or doing that. And so we have at least a monthly get together with all of them, you know, where they're doing this or that or even in a little educational thing together or whatnot. So we're trying to be more and more intentional all the time because it, it gets more complex as, as the group gets larger. No question. Yeah, I always say the playground is a great teacher, right? Yeah. Just playing in the backyard. You learn a lot about people. Exactly. Don't think about it too much. Yeah, I like that. Well, I, I did want to ask you about, because I know impact is a, is a big thing for you all in terms of not just from a business perspective, but what impact are we making on the world? You've been involved in a variety of local boards, including the Bright Promise Fund, but just talk about the impact and for you personally, and how does that inter- intersect with, with the business and what you all are trying to do in terms of making an impact on the community and, and, and beyond? Yeah, I think you, you have to go back to what is it that I am uniquely called to and gifted for, no matter what season of life I'm in. And every day is it, or every hour or every opportunity is an opportunity for impact uh, for, for, for that would, that could possibly cascade into people's family life or into future generations of people and, into, and from my perspective, into all of eternity. And that happens through relationship. And when we're in relationship with people, you mentioned Bright Promise, I got out of a board meeting this morning. 
And that's a, a small community of people, just the board that I'm in relationship with. And I want to conduct myself in a, in a very similar way that I do at home or here that I, I am who I am. And, and, and hopefully that I'm serving our values. We've tried to distill our values into selfless service, lifelong learning and everyday entrepreneurship. And so just, just try to emphasize these values of how do I go about my daily interactions that's leaving something positive. We all know we can leave something negative with anybody or toxic. I mean, we're all very capable of that, but how, how, do, how do you be mindful and intentional about what are the positive things that I can do to serve somebody else? And that that's good business. I mean, at the end of the day, you have to serve your customers well and, and leave them with the impression that you care about them and, and what, their, what their needs are. And so um, I, I feel very fortunate that we're in, in the kind of business that has a long-term perspective uh, about the work itself and about relationship and puts priority on relationship. And I think our industry does in general. I, I don't know if it's unique to other industries, I couldn't say, but I just feel like our industry really values um, loyalty and, and relationship and, and, and not running away from problems, running into situations. And, and, and we just take a lot of pride in you know, all, all, all the, all the uh, process of doing that uh, and how, how we get to be in relationship with people that, but for the business, we wouldn't be able to, or, but for this nonprofit that you get to sit on, you wouldn't have that relationship with that person to have that impact with on them. So, you know, you never know where, where those things might lead and, and what doors open or close, but always trying to look through the, the lens of, Hey, today's a day to have an impact on somebody. Every interaction is a divine appointment. Am I open to that? Or am I so rigid in my thinking that I want to be productive because I got this meeting at this time and how I want to be, uh, um, my tendency is to be a productivity junkie mm -hmm. as opposed to being open-handed about what are the divine appointments that I need to be open to today? And what does the Lord have for me today? Kind of the daily bread. So right. thank you for sharing that. That's helpful yeah. to me. I did want to ask you one question around, I, I've just been thinking about this even before we, we had a chance to talk about the, the risk versus opportunity, protecting the legacy of the family and the family business and the tension between protecting the legacy and advancing the mission. You know, your, your dad would be a great example of that. that. You know, it had been built to a certain point, but he said, there's something bigger out there for us. And I'm willing to risk that to achieve, to make a bigger impact for the future. How do you think about the tension between protecting the legacy, but also advancing the mission in the next season as you see it? I don't want to be redundant, but to me, the legacy is that, you know, the, the risk taking and, and, and making sure that what was left behind, it, it's more about taking that risk. Otherwise, you won't have it. If you play it too safe. Right. And, and you think you're just going to like sort of my precious, you know, like and, and, and just get too, too um, protective of it. it it's like, well, it's you're going to lose it any at that point. So it's not even like we have a choice. Um, and also these things perish. The business one day does perish. You know, where, where, where are we sort of storing up treasure? You know, is it in the iron? It's not, it's in, in relationship with people. So, you know, we got to come to work and do the best job what we have with what we've been entrusted with. It's a hard, it's hard work. And you, the only way a business really works, if you're willing to take some risk and, and change. And for us, when we, we try to remind ourselves right from the beginning, if we didn't pivot from coal to building materials, we would have gone out of business, right? So 
but we still have the same values all along the way. And so those things should never change. Uh, sort of your deepest convictions, your foundation shouldn't change. But if it means taking some risk to do a little bit of a different business, you have to be open-minded to change. Otherwise, you won't, you won't make it. Right. I'm a basketball guy by nature. And so I think about Dean Smith and the four corners. So, you know, you could play in the four corners and play keep away, you know, with a 10 point lead and three minutes to go, or you can be aggressive and having the discernment because there's discernment there, right? About, Hey, there is a time to go for the gap and, and go score. And there is a time to hold back and just having that discernment of how, how and when to push and when to play offense and when to be wise and, and be cautionary. That's, part of what you're called to do as a leader. Yeah. And I think part of my dad's vision and maybe because he saw it firsthand, you know, young people seem to have a little bit more sort of naivete about, you know, and just go get it kind of yeah, right. attitude. Yeah. And he, he's sort of like, that's what I did. I didn't care who told me, you know, like it's just, I was going to try it myself. But as, as you get older, maybe the tendency is to get more conservative. So let the young people just you know, give it, give it a shot at a young age because they're a little bit, and that's what Jesus did. He found some young guys who just didn't know any better. You know, like they they hadn't been there and done that. Oh, that'll never work. We already tried that. No, it's just like, I don't know. We're just going to try it. So, you know, so I think there's something definitely to an age thing, allowing young people to, to go for it because it's just like, they'll, they'll just go for it. Not, you know, because they, they're not as conservatives. Generally speaking, it's not always the truth, but and older people aren't always not risk takers either, but it's just just as a rule. But and to add on to that, but to have the, the discernment to let younger people make risks, take risks, and be okay with those not turning out. Yeah, and because that's where the learning is, right? So right. not not boat sinker risks, not like take us down risk, right. but things that 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 will be helpful in their learning. So yeah. there's new. Yeah, when, I, when I was when I was young, and I and I had even like the keys to the main plant downtown Chicago. And I was, you know, closing it up. And if I didn't do it just right, like the whole thing wasn't going to work the next morning, even something like that felt like, whoa, this is a big responsibility. Like sure. I could really screw this up. Right. Um, but I think young people need to feel that more and more. Like you, you, you need to have that sense of, Hey, this, there's a lot riding on this. Um, all of a sudden, you know, you know, you, you need to take some risk here. And so, you know, I, it's just a good lesson that we took away from growing up. That's the way my dad treated us. So, yeah. Well, our our podcast is called Unlocking Significance. So, that what, one of the things I've enjoyed is just talking to different leaders like yourself and just trying to figure out what is it, what is it that makes them tick and tease that out and understand like how do they truly? Because you and and everybody we've talked to have had a lot of success as the world would define it, but how would you characterize the difference? between success and the word significance, because we always talk about moving people beyond success to a life, to pursue a life of significance, which is kind of a higher calling, if you will. How would you think about that? Yeah, it's a great, it's a great question. I think so often um, there's a couple authors that have done a nice job, Simon Sinek with this golden circle of sort of the why, the what, and how, or or, uh, James Clear with his book of your identity, sort of the middle, and then the outcomes and you're not going to really have good habits unless your identity is correct. Those ideas have really resonated with me. So if your bullseye is the outcomes, you know, which tend to be those success measures, you kind of lose yourself in the process, maybe your marriage, or maybe all of a sudden your kids are grown up and gone and, and, and you gave yourself to what, you know, 
the next record or a, 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 you know a higher level of uh, revenue and these things are fleeting you know they can just go like in an instant and yet so oftentimes those are the things the world celebrates you know you the Forbes 400 or whatever but I think everyone has to ask themselves who am I what is my identity why am I why am I here on a regular basis and say okay if that's true if I truly believe that well how how is what I'm doing every day actually reflecting who I say I am or or why my reason for existing and and and, and those outcomes then you're not as holding on so tight uh, they they will oftentimes they do follow in 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 ways you didn't expect but if if that's not where your heart is you're just it's just sort of gravy it's just sort of like wow i didn't even know that was going to come my way and it did and and yet i'm 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 not having my identity rooted in those things because i know they could be gone in an instant it's living in abundance and open-handedness and and you, I, I keep coming back to that word you talk about surrendering to whatever the outcome might be um, I have a good friend that says sometimes good things actually aren't aren't good for us and sometimes what we perceive to be bad things are actually the best thing for us and are we are we open to those outcomes for our growth because yeah. God may have a different plan than than we have for ourselves so and I, I, and no matter what it's not easy like no. It, it, no matter how many times you learn it it's just a strange thing why it just becomes it's just you have to relearn it over and over again no. and, and reorientate yourself and it's 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 not an easy thing. Yeah, it's somewhat counterintuitive. It's kind of the opposite of of what the world says. You yeah. have to train, train your mind over and over again to do that. Yeah. Well, Marty, it's been a true pleasure to spend time with you today. Um, I'm super inspired by hearing your story, and uh, not only is it a true kind of classic uh, multi generational family success story, but just the culture and the values and. And being able to cascade that generation after generation and build upon the legacy that you all have and, and do it in a way that has a huge impact, not in just in this life, but in the next life on your customers, your employees, the community. And so just want to thank you. Uh, I've learned a lot in, in, the, in the last 35 minutes. So thank you for spending time with me. I know it's going to be a great blessing to so many. So thank you. Thanks, Scott, for having me. It's been it's been good to get to know you. And and, and also, I just want to say that just meet, hearing and meeting some of your friends through your podcast and, and the commitment to the St. Louis area in particular, it's, it's inspiring that, uh, you know, in different parts of cities that are, you know, different, not as good, but different. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't talk about the Cubs Cardinals thing. We're going to leave that alone, aren't we? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, um, but no, it's really a true inspiration to uh, to me uh, to hear you and, and just keep up the good work. I'm happy to, and it's an honor for me to be on it. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Unlocking Significance podcast brought to you by Mosaic Family Wealth. We invite you to connect with us at unlockingsignificance at mosaicwealth.com or by visiting our website. If you haven't already, please subscribe, rate, and review the Unlocking Significance podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever podcasts are downloaded. At Mosaic Family Wealth, our team of experienced wealth advisors will guide you in understanding how to maintain and grow meaningful wealth that goes beyond just accumulating assets towards building a lasting legacy. Join us again next time as we continue to spotlight lives that go beyond success towards significance.